Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Herbalism segment of the Elder Tree Podcast. I am your host, Tanil Christensen from Earth Mama, where I teach people how to thrive and get skilled for sustainability. As an educator, kitchen witch and plant lover, I welcome you to tune in as I interview permaculturalists from around the world. We will learn holistic ways of integrating plants into our homes, gardens and communities for healing. Together, we will explore the art and science of this regenerative design system and harvest the collective wisdom. Permaculture offers a pathway to empower people to develop their lifestyles and landscapes. So let's discover how to grow and know plants with a purpose. Robin Clayfield is a permaculture pioneer, educator, facilitator, and best-selling author who is passionate about healthy groups, organizations, and communities, their structures and governance, and most importantly, their facilitation and group dynamics. She presents and consults around the world to support global health, group and personal well-being, and whole systems change through using permaculture, social permaculture, deep ecology, and her dynamic groups, dynamic learning methodology. Robin loves ritual and ceremony and supporting people to have their own deep experience of nature, cycles and patterns, rites of passage, transformation and celebration. She also loves and nurtures a permaculture garden and one acre lot at Crystal Waters Eco Village where she's happily lived for 35 years. In this conversation, Robin and I speak openly about her pioneering days as an activist and her role in social permaculture. So what that looks like in her work and the special offerings that she brings. And this includes a five-part series of books, which are soon to launch. I have personally attended her courses and I utilize her very practical resources as helpful tools when providing either group facilitation, dynamic decision making, and as well as any time I'm teaching permaculture. So if you've been to any of my courses, you will certainly have seen her permaculture card deck set. And in the invisible realms, I'm using a lot of the processes that she has taught me as well. We can thank her for bringing the spirit care ethic to join the earth care, people care and fair share ethics that are embodied in the framework of permaculture design. We also speak about turmeric. It's one of her must have herbal plants for any home garden. And she even gives us her golden milk recipe. It's got a secret ingredient that I've never put in mine and other kitchen witching ways that she regularly utilizes plants from her garden, including Moringa, Godicola, Brahmi, Galangal, and she shares her go-to first aid herbs. I just want to say here too that the information or the knowledge that I've gained through her courses has had a direct impact in our community here. It's not something that we discussed in the interview, but I wanted to bring light to it in this introduction. And that is with the dynamic decision making. So I have provided and do provide facilitation processes for groups of people to come together and work on a common goal. But really interestingly, how you can use creative processes 
businesses to make decisions. And so if you've ever been out to COA, to the Sports and Rec Club there, there is a mate to playground. And it was with what I learned in the dynamic decision-making and dynamic learning course that I did with her that allowed me to come back and do three-part series with community engagement to help articulate and pull together the ideas so community all could dream up and vision what they wanted and then get clear and prioritize and then we got the funding together so we were able to install the nature playground and I want to honor and give thanks to the skills that I was able to bring based on this course those courses I did with her so listen in, we're going to talk about rituals and ceremonies, her annual labyrinth making installation and how sacred ecology continues to be a source of inspiration and inclusion in many of her offerings. What is even special is that she has kindly permitted me to share an elemental prayer aptly called thank you for the five sacred things and I will read that out at the end of our interview so I hope you enjoy listening to this wise woman as much as I did. Welcome Robin Clayfield. I have been counting down the days to have this interview with you. You have been such an inspirational teacher in my permaculture journey, especially in the social permaculture realm. I use your resources in all of my courses and I just want to dive into this and ask you all of these questions and and for you to share your life and all of the amazing um, pathways that you've taken the diversity of different ways that you apply permaculture to your life so thanks for being here yeah thanks to Neil I'm excited too this is going to be great Awesome. So let's go for the first question, which is why is permaculture an important aspect of your life? Well, I guess it's cha- it changed my life when I did my permaculture design course. This November, it will be 40 years, 1983, since I did my course. And I was quite a young woman in those days, 25. And it helped me turn my life around into a way that I could say yes to things and be positive about things. I'd come through my uni time being pretty depressed about the state of the world and I didn't feel like I fitted into the world because I was environmentally, politically, socially aware and um, a young activist, I guess. We were in those days marching down the streets of Melbourne trying to stop uranium mining and in my student activism kind of phase I was part of student rights where we were trying to stop them introducing compulsory fees for students tertiary students and things like that so when I did you know I'd been jumping up and down and saying no a lot (laughs) doing the permaculture course helped me say yes to things and be able to propose solutions so um, very quickly after I did my course I ended up helping to save a forest in northern New South Wales out the back of Mullumbimby in the early 80s and also stopping Byron Shire Council ocean outfalling their sewerage or at least um, putting in a second ocean outfall system and things like that. So that they weren't saying no to things. It was really 
saying yes to things, even with the forestry action, we were getting the local sawmillers on side and, you know, proposing alternatives. So there was lots of jobs for people in the industry and things like that. Anyway, that's just an example. And it became really part of all aspects of my life when I chose to move to Queensland and be part of Crystal Waters Permaculture Village when it was just in the planning phases. I bought into the plan in the mid-80s and moved here in 88 when we were able to come and take up our, our lots here. So for 35 years, this month actually, since I moved to Crystal Waters, 35 years I've had a one-acre lot at Crystal Waters where it's obviously because I've always been into permaculture it's got quite a wild permaculture jungle type garden because we are in the subtropics so it d does get a bit jungle-ish <laughs> um, and we've we've also got a license area around the edge of of our lot too of a, another acre which we get to look after which is part of our common land here and so, you know, really we're, you know, growing a lot of our own food, growing fibre because I love to weave, growing our own firewood. Obviously, like a chainsaw is one of our most important tools, I'm embarrassed to say, but um, it's very necessary. <laughs> Appropriate technology. Yeah. yeah, I guess we went from, you know, things that mow, mow down grass and brush cutters to now needing chainsaws. Um, we're doing our best at the moment to get a bit more water secure and um, fire safe. Those kind of things are really important in this changing climate. Built our own buildings and um, compost toilets, hand-built Clivus minimus toilets. We've got two of them here on our lot. Mostly off-grid. Make our own compost, all those kind of things and um, often have woofers and volunteers come and help us out and just stay for a while and learn. So I guess a lot of a lot of my permaculture life has it's it has all those physical aspects of permaculture implementation in them but it also for me it's very much part of a social permaculture journey where I guess the, the land that I'm on, we tend, we call it Kudamulami. That's our, our name for our little one-acre lot. And it means many hands. And so there's mm. lots of people who have helped us over the time. And my partner and I like to see it as a um, permaculture art and sculpture garden with a social permaculture embrace. <laughs> That's how, how, how we see it. And it's it's a dream. It's a vision for the future. And we go through the steps of retrofitting what was, you know, my original gardens and, yeah, we're, we're grading them a lot, making, looking towards, you know, a, an old age future in a permaculture garden too. You know, I'm mid-60s now, so mm. it's, you know, looking to how I grow old here too within a permaculture system and still be able to maintain it. And some of the invisible structures that I've, I've focused on with my life are things like let systems and microfinance systems, which I'm privileged to be part of in the Mullaney community here, living in the community here and being part of our co-op board um, for th the last three years up until recently. But also I'm, I'm immersed in permaculture as part of my life through teaching courses 
I've just gone back to teaching permaculture design courses after a break of about 15 or so years and we do that as a fundraiser for our community cooperative. But um, to go back to that, I taught about 30 of them in the early days through from the late 80s for about 15 years. But mostly I've focused on doing group facilitation and teacher training courses, which you know because you've done one. I most certainly have. I loved it. And I have your teaching permaculture creatively um, folder here that I've used in my PDCs that I've taught. I've got your creative process wildcards, which are all of the effective processes that really enliven facilitation and training. And I utilize your permaculture principles card game. That one sits at the center of the first lesson of teaching the principles and the ethics. And I love how you brought in the spirit care and that kind of zone zero zero um, self aspect of, of design um, in that in those ethics or the values Um, but yes thank you for sharing all of that you have you know when I look at the permaculture flower that David Holgram sort of shares and and so many people think that permaculture is just about the growing of the garden but you're you know just what you speak of about succession as well and planning you know your your life and your time on your property but you've incorporated or encompassed so many of the the you know the flower and um, you know through your teaching and just your your way of life and engaging with community and the social aspects. I really see you as a, a world leader in um, in the social permaculture realm. And I'm really excited to hear about your book, if you can share that in this interview and a little bit later. Um, but being that this is a, a topic of herbalism and plants, do you, like, can you share with our listeners how you integrate plants specifically from a healing or a herbalism perspective in, into either your garden, uh, your kitchen, or even perhaps it's in your community? Yeah, yeah, certainly, because I guess plants is where I started in my permaculture journey. Just I went and did a permaculture course because I was living on the edge of the rainforest in northern New South Wales and trying to grow my own food, and I wasn't doing a very good <laughs> job of it. And I, I was also, I've always been interested in herbs, so it's something that I did a lot of research about 40 years ago or so. And then just through using herbs and and greens and all kinds of different plants, getting to understand more about them, their properties, their uses, and, yeah, whether they were suitable for this climate or not. Mm. So I guess, um, you know, the ways that I I use herbs in my life, I, I tend to eat lots of greens, lots of salads, and I always have herbs in my salads and, and flowers, some of which are from herbs or probably all of them if I really thought about it um I I do a a blend up most mornings when I'm being really good to myself occasionally Mm. I have breaks if I'm away but I I like to make a green smoothie in the mornings and it's either a savory one or a sweet one using fruit whatever fruits we've got around in season but I tend to especially in um 
summer um, and going into this time of year, I can still be picking moringa, brahmi and godecola are all quite um, prolific in my garden at this time of year. Uh, the moringa is, um, it's borderline marginal in the subtropics, but it does grow. It's come up in my garden, come back after winter for quite a few years now. So I think I can rely on it. It's something that I'm integrating into my food and it's a tree rather than a herb but I, I really think about it um, in terms of herbalism because it's so medicinal and healthful and Brahmi is a beautiful little one that I only found out a year or two ago is a Australian native which is quite fabulous to understand and obviously go to cola is um, considered native to to the you know subtropics and tropics of Australia and grows all through Asia as well. So there, I, I use them daily and um, also I'm putting in things like Lebanese cress, salon spinach and bok choy, other other greens that might be considered salad things. I'll just pump them into the into the blender. So that's that's a big part of um, my life. I also tend to process quite a few herbs out of the garden. Um, particularly um, turmeric and lesser galangal and ginger. I'll talk about that a bit later because I've kind of chosen turmeric as my favourite um, herb. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you picked that one because I just have, I literally have bins full of it. Like we've, you know, those 60 litre bins that we make weed tea out of. We've had to empty that out and we've just, we did a workshop recently and just to be able to plant out our annual garden we had <laughs> buckets loads of turmeric so let's segue into that then uh, can i just mention a few other things that um just things that i'm using regularly in the garden and the home herbs and, and things like that um like into salads i most people are used to putting parsley in salads and maybe cress and things like that I tend to use fennel quite a lot or lemon balm leaves, that kind of stuff. And I, I find the herbs just makes a salad pop. So to me, a salad wouldn't be a salad unless it had herbs in it. And I tend to use things like comfrey and yarrow and calendula in a first aid kind of context. And um, particularly comfrey, it's just so great for any kind of sprain or bump or anything like that. So they're, they're probably my favourites. And, and we do make mixes as well. Like I use a dehydrator quite a bit to um, dehydrate any of your kind of Mediterranean herbs or like I make a Italian herb mix, which I just love, just masses of oregano and marjoram and parsley and that kind of stuff. So trying to dry as much of our own herbs for use all through the year as I can. Yeah. Thanks for letting me. <laughs> I did make a few notes on your questions. So, um, yeah, thanks for letting me share. Yeah, oh, you've got so much to share. And, yeah, it's such um, such lovely kitchen witchery there, all of the different, you know, you're not just using it fresh, you're um, dehydrating and preserving it and ah, just so integrated into the culinary experience. But it's nice yeah to, to have the herbs to eat but also to you know to apply in that uh, first aid sense they're just so versatile 
that's really nice to hear your share on that so when it comes to turmeric what have you got like where tell me about your passion of turmeric and what you do with it yeah it was kind of hard to pick a herb because Mm -hmm. some of the ones that people have already talked about you know comfrey's one of my absolute favorites because I just love using it in compost and that kind of stuff and and also as a um, first aid but turmeric is probably probably the herb in my garden that I use the most and I do the most kind of things with and it's also beautiful I, I find you know late spring when it's starting to come up and it, it um yeah just the whole garden comes alive with not just turmeric but the lesser gullengar also waits till later in spring to come up we've got a couple of different sorts of that that one's very ornamental but the turmeric um i love it um, raw grated into curries are grated into salad dressings and that kind of stuff but i also process as process it and um, dehydrate it so it's always it's a it's a harvest I, I love that kind of winter harvest anytime from now into winter and mm. I often um, weave some social permaculture into that and invite anyone from the community or neighbours around near Crystal Waters to come join me in a winter tuber harvest I call it but it's they're not just all tubers but I'll I'll you know, share with people what how to actually harvest them and then how I process some of them. And then people get to take little bits of rhizomes or corms or tubers home with them to grow themselves. So I don't know if you're interested in me sharing, you know, beyond turmeric, the other things that I'm kind of harvesting. I would that love time that. Please do, yeah. Okay, so Thank you. We ha- I have like two different sorts of turmeric, the yellow one and the gold like orange one someone's told me there's a black turmeric too recently which I I don't have that I'd like to learn more about that but so two sorts of turmeric I've got two kinds of lesser gullengal one which is called Chinese keys is a common name for it and then another one that's this beautiful variegated one um, that sometimes call is called kankur in in Thailand Mm -hmm. and it has round white um almost like swollen roots, about the size of a 10 to 20 cent piece. And so I'm harvesting that at the same time as the turmeric. And I really like that one as well because it, uh, when you dry it out and powder it, it's they use it in Thailand to put in peanut sauce and red Thai curries and things like that. I just used quite a bit of it last night. I made a red Thai curry for dinner. And I'm always putting the turmeric and the, the lesser gullengal powder in there. But I also we're digging up um, like things like water chestnuts and the sagittaria. They're both ready in winter. The ginger's ready and um, the yukon's ready, those kind of things. So, we you know, we go through all of those, harvest them all at once, clean them, some of them, you know, sort them, <laughs> grade them. Mm-hmm. replant I'm always replanting back where we've harvested any of those things also getting yeah. a few aerial potatoes at this time of year but they just drop on the ground and, you know sometimes we'll dig up the the main tuber because it's nicer mm, the big ground apple yeah um back to the turmeric I tend to I'm quite fastidious with it I make sure that we always peel it so that it's much more pure when it's dry 
and then we slice it into small slices, put it in the dehydrator, then blend it in small quantities through a blender so it powders, put it through a sieve, and then what comes out the sieve is like our first grade. And you get a little bit left over that's like second grade that you just might put into curries. But the powder's there and it, you know, we always make enough to last for a year and have a bit to give away. And I tend to make a few little jars of it, little 25 gram jars, so I can use it at our swapsies at Crystal Waters. Every few weeks we have a bit of a swapsies thing where people bring along their surplus produce or jams or pickles or kombucha or, you know, whatever people have have harvested or made. So it's I, I like to do that with my excess herbs and turmeric's the one where I usually have quite a bit and perilla and, yeah, whatever I can come up with. I tend to process more of the herbs when I've got woofers and volunteers to help if it's just left up to me. You know, I always do the turmeric and the lesser gullangal, but the rest of it. This year I want to do a reasonable quantity of ginger and make all our own ginger powder. That's my aim for the year. So, yeah, processing, it's a, a big part of my journey with turmeric. And when it's raw, though, the other thing that I tend to use it for is to make golden milk all through winter. don't know if you've ever made that, but mm -hmm. grating fresh turmeric and fresh yeah. ginger into a pot with, I can get a litre of almond milk or something like that and put a litre of water in with it, then add some cinnamon, cardamom, star anise and about a dozen black peppercorns and then bring it to the boil, let it and simmer after that for about 20 minutes and then you've got this fabulous golden milk that usually makes about four cups so that's my personal golden milk recipe oh i'll be trying that i've never put cardamom in mine so that's that's my favorite alexa but i've been missing the cardamom so thank you yeah just a little bit yeah yeah and i'm i'm told that you, um for the the turmeric to be really effective it needs to have some black pepper to to bring it out mm -hmm. so I always make sure I put that in yeah and the other things I use um turmeric for it's it's such a great mulch too you know when it starts to die down I just cut it and use it as a mulch around the garden or chop it up as a layer in hot compost usually you know the last hot compost before there's less biomass over winter to make hot compost yeah um, and I also like to pick the flower. My daughter's a florist and she highly prizes the turmeric flowers mm. and she'll often come hunting through my garden because I, I really have a lot of turmeric, more mm. than I could ever possibly harvest and process. But I love it. To, it kind of holds a space in some of the gardens to just give some biomass there that doesn't need any maintenance or attention really. Yeah. I'm careful not to have too much, but it's it's such a great one. But we always use the flowers. She'll come and pick some for her floristry and I just pick some to have inside the house. And mm. Yeah. Beautiful yeah, cut Some flowers. of the reasons why I love it so much. Yeah. You've probably got some turmeric stories too, I imagine. Oh, it's a proper community food for sure. It's like a bit like the pigeon peas when the seeds are on. It's like, okay, who wants to come and be part of this process and take it home as well? Yeah, we've um, 
our dehydrator broke so we kind of went into the um, blending boiling blending and mixing it with uh, cinnamon and ginger in a jar with some oil Mm. and just storing it in the fridge and using it that way Um, but we've got the dehydrator now so definitely get back into the powdering of it but yeah, before when you said you've got the chainsaw so that you're, you know, utilizing the wood on site for your fires, we're kind of, we've got the machete and the cummer and they're our favorite tools mm. here. And yeah. yeah, just the chop and drop that we can use turmeric for. And yeah, it does grow like a weed here. Like if there's a little bit of the corn left in the soil, it'll just pop up. So once we introduced yeah. it into our garden, it's um it just returns and yeah like you said in spring it's like oh look at the new little leaves and yeah this time of year and in the it it was almost exactly on autumn equinox it was like oh look the turmeric's telling us it's ready because it's the leaves are dying back and um yeah and we kind of you know it's planted in our food forest but it's also um it just pops up we have areas that are our winter cool season annual gardens and then by the time spring comes and they've gone to seed when the wet season kicks in all the turmeric just returns it just pops up we don't really replant it in those areas Mm. so there's sort of two activities that happen through the year and yeah the um, but yeah, I think we, we do supply um, the local and a local organic shop in Coranda and also down in Cairns, there's um, an awesome vegan Snoogies um, cafe and they usually buy our, our organic turmeric as well. But do you know the difference between the yellow and the orange? Like, is one more medicinal than the other? Well, from what I've been told many years ago now that the yellow one's more medicinal and the orange one's more culinary. Uh-huh. But you can interchange them. Yeah. Also, the, the other thing that I've realised fairly recently from, um, you know, people, naturopaths and people who work in the field a lot that, you know, you do get a, some benefit from turmeric, especially, you know, as an anti-inflammatory, mm. but I've been told that the amount of turmeric you actually need to be really effective would be too much for your body, like too much vitamin A, really, you overdose on it, and that um, the, they make the extractions they make to make pills out of it, they just take the curcumin mm. out of it, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that does the anti-inflammatory work. So to eat enough turmeric to do the potency that we're wanting for anti-inflammatory stuff is possibly not not as good as we might imagine, mm. let's say. You're definitely going to have yellow teeth and yellow fingers for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and you, you can have too much vitamin A. It's not, it's not helpful. So it's, you know, sometimes with herbs and with greens too, the, there can be just little cautions just to think about. Like I know with, you know, um, silverbeet and a lot of your greens that are high in oxalic acid, Mm. like kales and things like that, people are, you know, on a whole bad of eating greens. But it's really good to be aware that it's not good to have too much of that kind of stuff um, raw. And so to cook them, you know, so that's part of just 
herb law and, mm. you know, learning to live with plants and doing as much research as you can. And I'm not saying any of that, you know, you'd want to check that out for yourself, what I just mentioned about, you know, but I had a herbalist really tell me, you know, if you're wanting, because I've had a challenge with my, some inflammation um, in my feet and um, or one foot and, yeah, someone said to me, buy, go, go to the health food shop and get the curcumin. It's going to give you more relief more quickly than just having lots of turmeric mm. powder. You know? Yeah, anyway, the potency. It's good to, yeah, it's good to ask people with more experience than us and do the research in the literature and yes. the internet and stuff. I always check something out if I'm, if I'm not sure or I'll, I'll go research. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yes, there's like the home herbalism and, you know, tonics, even with the gotacola that you spoke about, you know, just having a couple of a few leaves a day, not blending and making an entire smoothie out of gotacola. Um, usually it's forgiving. Your body will tell you straight away. You get that direct uh, feedback with apply self-regulation and accept feedback. Is it working? <laughs> Am I getting some other side effects happening right now? Am I visiting the toilet far too often? So the plants do talk to us very loudly at times. <sighs> yeah, they do indeed. Okay, cool. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so... Um, other than the turmeric, do you have another or an example of when you've utilized plants to improve your health and what was that experience? Yeah, I, I guess um, generally I always feel better when I eat lots of greens. Mm. Um, and the green, the green smoothies that I mentioned that I have each morning and, you know, I change up the herbs and the greens that I put in there depending on what's seasonal. But I, I guess a couple of examples. When um, I remember being in Europe teaching courses back in the late 90s and uh, we'd gone from um, Mexico and Cuba and then into England and we hadn't, in Cuba, there wasn't many greens. Like I, I remember getting to England and and there was no salads or greens or anything served in our food or anything and I just had a, a few weeks of not having as much salad and greens as I'm used to and I we were staying with a friend in Wales for a few days and I just went walking out around where they lived and I and I it was fairly clean it wasn't near roads or where anything would be sprayed and I just even with the herb law that I had then I still was able to identify and pick about five different weeds just growing naturally that I could make into a little salad and yeah with calendula flowers you know it was or marigold flowers I can't remember which but I mm. I remember making up this this little potent it was tiny little potent salad and probably had a bit too much oxalic acid in it but it was you know dandelion a dandelion leaf or two and yeah, I can't remember now what was actually in it, but I remember feeling really proud of myself that I could find those things and, and knew that I could eat them. Mm, foraging feast. Was your body just like <laughs> soaked it all up? Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe a couple of examples about um, different healthful and healing kind of diets and things like that. When I have been needing to detox my body there was a 
a couple of times in the last maybe 20 years that I've done what what's called a Catherine Alexander detox diet. It's a woman um, who's very well researched in, in this field and she actually lives close to Mulaney here, but she's quite world renowned for her, her research and her her suggestions and supports people with cancer and all kinds of, um, you know, pretty full-on diseases to come back into balance with, with their their diet and their body. And there's quite a, a bit of science behind it. But one of the aspects of it is to have no salt, no added salt, because, you know, we're wanting our body to get a balance between sodium, potassium, and also a balance between calcium and magnesium and if you get the right balance in place then your body is building um, its momentum and becoming really vital again and if you do this detox for two months you've raised the vitality in your body and you've got the momentum happening that if you keep going past that time for more months your body starts to heal itself of anything and so I guess because she lived in Mulaney and one of her book launches were here and our local health shop was really behind her in what she was proposing, so many people around Mulaney used this, this way of eating and, you know, I've heard fantastic results from people and certainly experienced that for myself when I did it for five months when my son was a teenager. We did it together for five months and it I basically I get migraines a lot just as a hereditary thing and um yeah I didn't really get migraines hardly at all for that five months so I do my best to kind of eat in the um style of that I guess and part of um where I bring the herbalism into it with no salt it's like Mm. how do you make something taste good (laughs) without salt you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and one's palate adjusts after time. Yeah. It took about three weeks to be more okay with it. But I'd be just using bulk amounts of fresh herbs, lots of parsley chopped up, heaps of chives, heaps of, you know, um, lemon balm and all kinds of things, fennel. Yeah, and and then your, your Mediterranean herbs that I've dried and in the pantry and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and lots of lime juice, heaps of citrus juice, which isn't mm. technically a herb, but um, yeah. Oh, that's great and quite yeah. transformational for people. It's almost like yeah. it's easy to say don't eat salt and so that people eat, they you know, find flavors in the the realness of food instead of saying yeah. eat all of these other things. That might be new. People can get creative themselves. Yeah, and to clarify, you know, um, you get your salt from the amount of vegetables that she suggests you eat, like mm. huge amount of vegetables per day. So you're getting your salt from that, and all the minerals that fresh organic veggies have. And the other time I've used um, herbs for like full-on healing, I um, I was somehow managed to get like a bladder parasite when I was um, in Asia working at one point, and um, it was excruciating. It kind of bugged me for a year, a year and a half, and in the end, I kind of went to a doctor and got a bit of a um, diagnosis, but they couldn't really work out what was going on 
and they wanted to give me antibiotics but and I ended up taking some for the first time in my adult life and they didn't work <laughs> didn't mm. touch it and um I I was seeing a naturopath friend of mine at the time as well around this and she was um supporting me with it and I also saw a, a chiropractor for another reason like more a kinesiologist kind of chiropractor and he he did this he tested uh, and he said and and how's your health generally and I went well it's good apart from this thing and I mentioned it and he did some kinesiology around whether it was a a virus a bacteria a parasite and he went you've got a parasite it's a parasite and so he he was able to so at least I knew (laughs) what was Mm. going on and then I could say that to my naturopath and so she she put me on this regime um, that was really intense and um, yeah she got my partner to go on it as well so we weren't cross infecting each other but she in the she get, it was a brew a herbal brew to drink and then she gave me these capsules that she'd made up for me out of cloves and mugwort two different ones and in the end she just said look you need um, you can make these yourself and she told me where to get the capsules from just from a chemist you know vegetarian type ones and mm-hmm. then she gave me the clove powder full of oil you could it was you'd touch it and it was not liquid but it was it was moist it was so full of the clove oil and then I'd make mugwort ones as well and she had this whole regime where I have this many at this time after a meal and then this many and then after this many days and it was very um particular or specific and it worked it totally worked and so I I yeah I've always been totally a user of herbs for my health but that showed me that it can heal something that um, modern medicine just couldn't even touch yeah you can lean into it and try (laughs) try both but it's yeah the 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 herbs speak for themselves don't they when we get Mm. get that relief or can work through these challenging experiences I I had I ate some crab and had a really bad reaction to it a couple of months ago and it completely messed with my digestive system and put me on a on a path of Ayurvedic cleanse um, which has included a lot of turmeric (laughs) as as you were talking about so it's definitely that's an ally that I've been working with strongly lately yeah, just yeah, learning about yeah, clove as you mentioned, and and ginger. This time of year, as things are cooling down, it's such a, a yummy. They're such yummy, warming, mm. nourishing um, foods or, or plants that can really um, help us rejuvenate. Yeah, I'd add garlic in there too as another one that I've used really potently in my journey for you know disinfecting and healing and my the whole permaculture course that I did that very first one when I was a participant more like two-thirds of the group ended up getting sick with either a, a cold kind of thing or a tummy bug and there were three or four of us who didn't and we compared notes and we realized all of us on the day off on the middle weekend when we were out and about 
had come back with a corm of garlic because <laughs> oh. we were missing garlic. The woman didn't cook with garlic, okay. and uh, who was our cook, and and we weren't we didn't get sick. And from that point, I was like, right, <laughs> I know yes. how powerful this plant is. That proves it. <laughs> Strong medicine. That's something that I can't grow here. I've tried multiple times. Can you grow it in your garden? Yeah, just. I'm not real great at it because I um, don't have enough, like, sun, really. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple of the people here at Crystal Waters farm it in a more intense <sighs> kind of situation, so they're more set up for it. I've yeah, so my, you can just my garden locally. Yeah, yeah, we trade it, and yeah, Yov is one of our cooks here. He he grows a lot of it, and we can do a swap and that kind of stuff. It's great. Excellent. We have a biodynamic farmer up in the tablelands that grows it too, and yeah, I just get it from our local organic shop. But yes, yeah, so much garlic in our food for sure. Yeah, we don't get enough sun in our particular garden. It's a bit too overgrown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> full of all the matured trees now. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of our yeah. potent herbs grow on trees in the tropics or subtropics because it's naturally a forested place. So as you spoke about Moringa, um, you know, and even the yams and things, the aerial mm. yam, yeah, we grow that. And it's, yeah, yeah the vines and, and the leaves of plants. Lemon myrtle is something that we've been using a lot more lately as well. Mm, yeah they're everywhere once we start building yeah. these relationships with them um, yeah exactly oh cool I love everything you've shared so far and I know we could keep keep talking about it for a long time but we've got um let's let's stay on track here and this question yep. in particular I know is going to open up um a lot because you have lots of things happening that I'd love to share with our listeners. So can you let us know what is alive and thriving in your life right now? Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I thought about that, um, I, my head went straight to the garden, <laughs> like what's alive and thriving in my garden. Well, mm -hmm. At this time of year, the garden is, you know, around here, winter is a time where, everything's much more productive so that's totally where my heart and my passion is and I've got a hot compost heap that I need to be turning for the first kind of turn tomorrow so that's and I checked it it's heating up nicely so that's really cool and I've got some um a compost tea aerating at the moment that I'm going to go home after this call and spread around the garden we've just had some good rain so it's good timing. I'll, I'll um, just water in after the rain and hopefully, you know, introduce some extra potent microorganisms and bacterias and things into the roots of the plants. Mm. And um, it's kind of, you know, the opposite in the garden at the moment in terms of, you know, some things are dying down, like I mentioned, ready to harvest. But it's also a great time to maintain and catch up on things. So, no garden wise um i'm more busy at this time of year probably the the weather's kind it's not too hot um, yeah and there's lots to do and catch up on after well we didn't have much of a wet season this year but usually you know there's heaps of biomass to tame but yeah i guess in terms of what's alive in my life generally um 
I've got um, my dynamic groups, teacher training group facilitation course coming up in July. I need to be spending a bit more time promoting that. So I'll be spending the next couple of weeks working on that because I've just put quite a bit of energy into supporting John Seed of Deep Ecology fame to come and run a Deep Ecology workshop here this coming weekend, which I get to co-facilitate with him, which is a, a blessing. I've known John for more than 40 years and Deep Ecology was part of my permaculture design course when I did it and I always weave it into all of my permaculture design courses. So to dive in together with a group of 30 people for a whole weekend into the you know, depth of, of deep ecology. I'm really excited about that. And I'm also, um, yeah, still working on my book where I'm writing all of my learning methodology down, and particularly this first first one's about the, the foundations of how we support groups to work well together, whether they're organizations or work teams or learning environments like courses you know how do we how do we set ourselves up in a really good stead so we're you know able to succeed rather than possibly hit walls of conflict or challenge and problems and that kind of stuff so yeah that that's always been really alive in my life that how how to help groups work better for change i mm. guess um, you do it so it. well so passionately I highly highly recommend your dynamic groups course it um you know through through my training with you and then I've come and done a social permaculture weekend as well or however many days it was it's not enough because I'd love to spend more time in crystal waters with you learning but it, um, you know, when I first did my PDC, it was very chalk and talk. I had to sit and, just, and, and, and it was still rich and I still learnt so much and it was very inspiring. But when I learnt how to teach through um, in a more dynamic way with your methodology and meeting Elfie and just the way that you teach, you know, like I did a, a teach what is a training and assessment course it was the most boring course I've ever done when I found out that you used to do it I was like I should have come to you but the it's so fun and engaging and it's full body learning and and I've had such great feedback in my courses where people have gone wow the way that you facilitate and I can honestly say that you know, I didn't actually know that that was possible or had those tools until I came and learnt from you. So thank you for, for doing this work in the world and being such an inspirational um, teacher and an elder on my path. Um, and I'm sure that would weave right into your PDC as well. So that's coming up this in when when have you got your permaculture design course it's, um in august um 13th to the 27th of august and it's already nearly half booked so we can only oh. take 20 people we'll hurry up and people. it's a fundraiser yeah it's a fundraiser for our crystal waters community cooperative so that's a great thing like we all get paid but um any surplus goes to support the community here yeah that's running the village and the the eco park a really special place to visit as well as part of the course to see 
you know, such a successful large scale eco village and all of the elements that you have there. It's such a beautiful centre to be learning in. Yeah. Yeah, and we make the most of Crystal Waters too in terms as a learning tool really as Mm -hmm. well. You know, touring around, going to different people's places, seeing the different things that, you know, maybe you would just talk about otherwise, but we're able to show good examples of things and learn from some of the elders and the youngers here. Mm. Yeah, it makes me want to come and do my third PDC. (laughs) (laughs) Even as a teacher, you know, I love to take these, the time off in retreats and and to learn there's still so much more to learn and just you know I think when I'm with you I'm observing how to teach as well it's not just the content that I've heard before it's the delivery of it so rich um and John Seed so was that when you were um doing your activism work were you with John Seed at Terrania Creek um, I came into Northern New South Wales just after Terrania Creek was saved Uh uh-huh so about that time, but when we found that we were trying to save a forest, some of them who were part of Terrania Creek came across and gave us some hints and pointers and set us up with a ornithologist and, yeah, a botanist and just, yeah, got us. Organised. <laughs> gave and... some of the, past, yeah, fair shares, you know, passed on some of their experience. So I think I met John, though, even during my permaculture design course there was a session on deep ecology and um or straight afterwards maybe it was the one afterwards but he used to come I used to cook for my teacher for years after that and John would come every permaculture course and Mm. teach the deep ecology session so yeah great and yeah we just did a um Stephanie Hazel just interviewed John Seed in one of our recent episodes so listeners listeners can tune into that and hear his amazing journey there too oh nice yeah because he's such a wise beautiful person that's that's great that you've got him on recording too mm, yeah just like you and um yeah I love how you you weave that into I mean into I feel like the deep ecology is was kind of embedded in even the creative teaching and the social permaculture um, workshops as well and I think you know I I walked away with this beautiful document that you made um, because you had to have so many incredible resources so um, that gets me excited for when your book comes out and just to see you know what that how I think this is going to be such a big paradigm shift for um, groups working together um, I, I personally have had the experience of, you know, putting all of my love and intention into an organization or a business with, you know, the best intentions and permaculture and all of these things. But unfortunately, sometimes it's like the, the, the people working together and understanding the goal and the aim and people's roles and, you know, understanding strengths and weaknesses and conflict resolution and all these ways to work through, um, you know, that that's like I'm, you know, this one little aspect of it, but you know, on a global on a community sense and a global sense, um, we have to really be able to to work together in these times to get through all of the challenges and so that's, uh, you know, um, I'm counting down the days till your book comes out. I think I'll be one of the first purchases of that and have that in my toolbox. 
Um, but back to the that those resources, I've got um, thank you for the five sacred things and it's glued into my diary and just, you know, bringing, I see you as a person that sort of brings the elements and nature into you know the reverence and the learning and the you know the the spirit care and ourselves is such a an important part of working with the earth and the fair share and um you know like the change starts with us and our connection to nature and do you mind if at the end of this um if I do a little post recording of the five sacred things to share with people oh please yeah, it's so beautiful. That would be lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that actually to do an acknowledgement of that. Yeah. Then um, I was invited to be one of the main people holding a wedding ceremony for two folks who got married here at Crystal Waters, maybe about close to twenty years ago now, and they were really inspired by Starhawk's novel, The Fifth Sacred Thing. Yeah, and so they got the the male holding space to read um, a section from the front of the fifth sacred thing and then they asked me if I would do some kind of blessing around the five sacred things and so right, just with that as a brief I just opened and that's what came through and I did um, personalise it in the each of the five sacred things. The later part of it has a little blessing and so I would have the couple's name in there. And so I've, I've used that in quite a few um, wedding or hand fasting ceremonies. But I also, the one that you would have, mm. um, I'd say I made more general so it was usable for anybody just to be able to make a prayer and a, a blessing and, yeah, feel our gratitude and our love for the earth and, and all beings. Mm. Yeah, I just think it's such a beautiful way to set the scene for my PDCs, you know, to, to really call it in and oh, I love it so much. <laughs> thank you. Mm. And and so oh, thank you. Yeah. And the diversity of what, you know, you offer in the whole bigger picture of permaculture. So you also do a labyrinth. You're like you have a regular feature at Woodford Festival. Can you just touch on that one too? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> After, um, well, I guess to say that um, four of us from here at Crystal Waters started the original Chai Tan at Mulaney Woodford Folk Festival that became infamous. We ran that for 23 years and then let that go and Chai has become a thing all around the country now. There'd only been one other Chai business prior to that and um that inspired you know one of the four of us and then after a couple of years of just getting to go there and do it one presentation I thought oh I really like doing a project at Woodford and um I had this design come through me of the sacred union labyrinth that I used to use in a relationship workshop I, I ran with my ex-partner Mark and yeah called the love feast is the the whole process that I came up with for couples and he was able to help me bring that to workshops with with couples 
And so that design, we would we would make it as a labyrinth in, in that workshop. And then I thought, oh, it'd be nice to do something like that at Woodford. Woodford needs a, a quiet retreat space where people can get out of the busyness of the festival and, yeah, have a walk, drop into their connection with themselves and their, their, their balance, place of balance inside themselves. And because I'd done the chai tent, um, Bill Horitz trusted me to to bring the Labyrinth project and then the programmer supported me to set it all up and they gave us a good budget and and um, these days we're a little mini department at Woodford. Mm -hmm. I'm the department head and we have, you know, 14 of us do the build during the build period to set the whole thing up. And it's semi-permanent now, so people can walk at any time of year if they're going there for any of the smaller events or the staff can walk it or the tree huggers and maintenance folks who go there once a month can can walk it. But, yeah, then we dress it right up for the festival. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I guess it's like part of social permaculture and, mm. you know, we bring lots of plants in, some herbs, some edible things but mostly um ornamental foliage and flowers and things like that but yeah it still has that that deeper permaculture underlay and um the social permaculture working together the team and and little ceremonies the spirit care and deep ecology all working together as a beautiful installation yeah, thanks for asking about that. Oh, I have not yet seen it, but I look forward to getting to Woodford one year and that will be my beeline straight to the labyrinth. Oh, I was just going to say we get to do um, four ceremonies with a live band and then there's other acts in there, different, you know, four or five different musicians or workshop type things that use the labyrinth. So, yeah, it's a beautiful space. I hope you, you get to come sometime, Tania. Yeah, yep, it will happen. And so a great opportunity for people to come and, and meet you there. But I hope this interview's inspired uh, our listeners to connect with you in your in your many offerings, but in particular your dynamic groups and dynamic learning. Um, I think that that is such a gift to the world. And yeah, the you know you've got your PDC and and especially your book. Did you want to touch on what your book is and why you've created it? Yeah, sure. It's it's my life's work, I guess, of teaching and training and facilitating groups. And it was just going to be one main book with a few supplementary texts for special interest. But as I was writing it, it seemed to be getting so big that I split it into two books with three supplementary texts and just focused on the first one. And that was getting so big that I went, oh, this is nuts. I just need to break it down into a few mini books and just to get something out and finish. So this first one is the first of a series of five mini books and it's called Dynamic Teaching and Facilitation, The Foundations. Awesome. And so then the second one will be dynamic teaching and facilitation um, in, in, uh, in unleashing empowerment, I think I'm going to call that, or group and personal empowerment probably. And then the next one is unleashing creativity. Love it. So they're, you know, they're, they're smaller chunks, but they'll still be at least a couple of hundred pages each, the rate, rate I'm going. 
yeah yeah whole books yeah <laughs> oh great well thanks for your creativity and your insight and for pioneering so much over the years in permaculture and even in things like chai <laughs> popular yeah. thing now um yeah so much gold in this interview or the all of the um the plant sharing and yeah it's great you know I think I'm one of your biggest fans but I, I hope that our listeners today can um can really hear what you've you know where you've been and what you've done and your impact in the permaculture world here in Australia and also around the world is there anything that you wanted to share before we say goodbye today or maybe just to bring it back to the herbs and you know some key things like know your herbs use them cook with them smell them and use the flowers use the flowers yeah and remember to give thanks remember to be grateful for for the beauty and for the nourishment and all that plants give us mm, yeah well thank you and big gratitudes to you robin yeah thanks so much it's wonderful to be part of this now with robin's permission i will read the elemental prayer of the five sacred things as I begin, I invite you to relax and feel deeply into your body wherever you are. Be it sitting or standing, take a moment to ground and feel the earth beneath you. And using your breath and connecting to the air, taking a deep breath in. And a relaxing deep breath out. Just breathing to your natural rhythm and using your imagination to see these elements in play in your life. Thank you for the element of air, for the wind and gentle breezes. Thank you for the breath of life, for the breeze on our skin and the air that flows in and out of our lungs to sustain us. Thank you for the clouds and the great air currents and thermals that sweep over land and ocean. Thank you for the birds, for clear skies and clear minds. May the freshness of wind and air blow greatly and gently into our lives today. May it enliven us and create a safe space for our words to flow. May our every breath be an inspiration. Thank you for the element of fire. Thank you for warming our homes, cooking our food and lighting our way. Thank you for the sunshine, the starlight, lightning and volcanoes. Thank you for our warm blood and for the spark within each of us. May the energies of fire inspire us today and fill our hearts with passion. May we always be warm from the inside out. Thank you for the element of water, for quenching our thirst and blessing our gardens. Thank you for the blood flowing through the rivers of our veins. Thank you for the oceans and all aquatic creatures. Thank you for the clouds, mist and rain, for rivers, streams and the dance of waterfalls. May the power and tranquility of water flow through us today and share its cleansing energy with each of us. May we never thirst and may our feelings always flow freely with ease and honesty. 
Thank you for the element of earth, for our bodies, our flesh and our bones. Thank you for the food which nourishes us and all that comes from the earth. The soil, seed sprouting, all the plants, trees, flowers and fruits. Thank you for the animals, minerals, rocks and mountains. May the earth bless us and support us in every step we take. May we never hunger. May our bodies be strong for tending the earth, for loving each other and working together for positive change. May we walk every step of our journey with integrity and deep respect. Thank you, Spirit, for divine essence and wholeness in our lives. Thank you for the power to create, move, change and to transform. Thank you for joining us as we stand here today. Fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our bodies and fill our spirits with your many gifts and blessings. May we find the balance of love, wisdom and power in our own special ways and may our hearts be filled with divine love and light in every way, every moment of every day. Thank you. The Elder Tree is a not-for-profit organisation that is in the beginning stages of creating a grassroots herbal education centre and healing sanctuary in the Atherton Tablelands of Final Queensland. To find out more, go to theeldertree.org and follow the journey on Instagram and Facebook. You can also donate to The Elder Tree via our podcast channel on Anchor or via the website. If you like the episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. See you next month. And in the meantime, may you grow them to know them and be blessed with good health and many plants.